Hey, what's up, everybody? Adam Bush here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Pete and Penelope podcast. Two and a half years ago, we started creating a television show for preschoolers that would help them to develop great character. That's what Pete and Penelope is all about. And I've specifically wanted to include all of you on the journey with us. And so as we worked on the show and met storytellers in all sorts of different industries, I just really wanted you guys to be a part of it. So I started this podcast so that you could be part of the conversation and hear from people who are really making it happen in um, their field of storytelling. That's what this podcast is all about. We've had an overwhelming response. And with that comes a little change. This is actually going to be the final episode of the Pete and Penelope podcast in its current form. Here in a few months, we're going to shift this podcast to be directed towards kids where they can hear our characters come alive. Maybe in the morning when they wake up, they can listen to um, lessons on developing character, maybe before they go to bed. Maybe you can use it as a tool for your family, but we're really excited about that. And we'll talk more about that online as we get closer. But I know this, a lot of you guys who listen to the podcast are working in children's ministry. So with that in mind, we have started another podcast. It's called the Kid Men Podcast by The Ambush Group. We've got 12 episodes mapped out and each episode deals with one topic specifically. We'll have a conversation about it. We'll have interviews with children's ministry leaders from all over the world. And we're including resources that'll help you in your services this very weekend. So we're really excited about that. So a little change on the Pete and Penelope podcast and then a brand new podcast, The Kidman Podcast, brought to you by The Ambush Group. Now on to this episode. Kip Rathke got his start on Sesame Street, gluing the feathers on to Big Bird. Since then, he's become a creative director with Sesame Workshop. Kip is a wealth of knowledge, specifically when it comes to puppetry and puppet building. We're really excited to have him on the episode. So without further ado, here we go. Hey, okay, we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're at Tulsa Community College. And last night, Mr. Kip Rathke uh, did a presentation um, on his time with Sesame Street and the work that he's doing. And he was so gracious to be on the podcast today. So Kip, let me say, thanks for being here. Great, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, right out of the gate, I just want to talk about uh, where, uh, where you're born, where you grew up, and what your parents did, kind of get to know about you. I was born in Toledo, Ohio, and we moved around a lot. I lived in Galva, Illinois for a year, and then in a suburb of Toronto for five years, then back to Ohio, and then ended up in Brooklyn at Pratt Institute and never left. And what did your parents do growing up? Um, you know, my dad was grew up sort of being an artist as a kid and was sort of forced by the time he lived in to become a chemical engineer, and then he was a plant manager for paper cup factories hmm. for most of his career. A little, di <laughs> little different than yeah. puppetry work. But it made him very, um, he was always very encouraging of me being an artist and going into that because he never got to do it. And so was my mom. She was very crafty and creative, and so they were always very supportive of me making puppets and doing whatever I wanted. Talk to me about, you've had, you've worked on a lot of projects, but um, talk to me about, a lot of projects, a lot of shows. Talk to me about your road to Sesame Street. I 
always built puppets and growing up and was in puppet clubs and things like that. And when I got to Pratt, I wanted to take animation classes and sculpture classes. And I started making puppets for all my, a lot of my classes. And people saw those and said, there used to be a puppetry class here. And I hunted down the former teacher, who Kermit Love, who mm. was a costume designer for dance for Twyla Tharp and wow. Agnes DeMille and Balanchine, and also helped um, the designer Don Celine and Jim Henson mm. create the bigger, more costume-like characters for Sesame Street, like Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. Wow. So I talked to him, and he hired me for the following summer to glue feathers on Big Bird for $5 an hour. Awesome. <laughs> Talk, talk to me. You were talking last night about like what like that's a really like um, oh what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a really detailed process, like, like <laughs> with the feathers. Yes, yes. For yes, my first first job. Yeah, it was very. You had to like t the feathers come on a sewn on a boa like on a string, and there you have to cut them off. They're two tone dyed turkey feathers, and with some toxic dye, and you have to then like iron them, steam them, so the ends splay out to a nice, beautiful shape, and then mm. sort of give them a curl, and then line them all up. And basically, it takes 3,000 to cover Big Bird. Whoa. <laughs> and then you hot glue them on, like in a spiral from the bottom all the way up. And I spent a lot of time doing that because we would do, you know, a new Big Bird maybe for that season of Sesame Street, but also... We were working on around that time on the movie Follow That Bird, the first Sesame Street movie. Oh, love it. And so I did the blue bird for that, was which was a nice break from the uh, the yellow. Awesome. And for the ice shows and live shows they were doing at the time, we were still they were still doing those there. And it was sort of my entryway into then learning from the people there. You know, then eventually building you know, helping work building puppets, and that led to puppet building and working at Three Design Studio and it, that did Eureka's Castle, and then going to Henson and working on Sesame Street and Bear in the Big Blue House and Muppet Treasure Island. That's awesome. Um, talk to me about the first day at Sesame Street. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just amazing, because I, you know, seeing the show when you're a kid and then actually walking you know when i was a, when i first saw the show as a kid it was like i wanted to move that made me want to move to new york mm. yeah <laughs> which is a weird thing i mean maybe part of me as a kid thought that there would be puppets popping out everywhere <laughs> but um but it was just you know and seeing the show then and seeing the puppets it's i wanted to make that make them yeah. and i wanted to make things like that that could come to life but also, it was moving to New York. But so when I actually went to the set for the first time and saw Snuffy, they hang his, him from the ceiling mm. and then they lower, just so he's out of the way on mm -hmm. these two ropes and they lower him down when they need to use him. And seeing Big Bird walking around and being able to sit on this, the 123 building stoop mm. or go behind Oscar's trash can and pop my head out of the top of it. Yeah. You know, it's just like sort of walking into your childhood again and you're and it's real. 
Is it a like a surreal experience? Yeah, I mean that very first time it was, and then it just became everyday, <laughs> an is, everyday thing. But is the the with the uh, with Big Bird? Are the feathers falling falling off a lot? Not if the person gluing them did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you have to fix things a little bit. Basically, they I don't, I'm not I don't quite remember how many. There's always one bird they're using on day to day, and then there's a backup one you know, a pristine body, you know, waiting in case something happens. And I think you replace them every couple of years, you add a new one mm. to the stock of them. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I was gonna ask you, and I, I think I can change the question, I was gonna ask you what attracted you to puppetry, but um, it sounds like it's the making. That's what you love. Yeah, I mean, I puppeteered a little bit here and there. I was, um, I played two, I was an extra puppeteer in the wedding scene in Muppets Take Manhattan. Awesome, awesome. I, I, everybody, they just called everybody in town who had knew something about puppets and to fill up the, all the chapel and they, everybody had to do, have a different puppet on each hand. And I was Droop and the flower eating monster. And we had to sort of, uh, Frank Oz was directing the scene and we had to sort of sway back and forth and lip sync the song. And I did get to ruin one whole take by swaying the wrong way, which is partly why I'm not a puppeteer. That's awesome. And if, if you've never seen that film, that's a, a shot where there's just like so many puppeteers. So you were kind of walking us through just that moment of how that worked. Everything's elevated. Yeah, yeah, the whole set, most Muppet sets are big, except for Sesame Street, because there's also humans involved. So the puppeteers have to be just roll around on little wheelie mm. things sometimes. Um, but most Muppet sets are built like six feet off the ground, so it works standing up with the puppet over your head. So the whole chapel scene was built, raised up with like slots between the, the pews of the chapel. You told us last night a funny story about someone said, have you ever met Jim Henson? <laughs> I think I briefly met him as part of the group of people who were there shooting that scene, but then like maybe the next year I was um, working at Kermit Love's studio on, where I probably had progressed from just gluing feathers to actually helping sew parts of like the original Snuggle Bear or the international Sesame Street characters or the other puppet projects that he worked on there. But I was alone in the office one day and the phone rang and somebody was, you know, asking if Kermit was there, Kermit Love was there and said, oh, could you tell him I called? <laughs> and um, and I said, yeah, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll let him know. And he's like, um, but do you know who this is? And I was like, Yes, <laughs> because you do sound just like Kermit the Frog. Um, Kermit, Kermit Love and Kermit the Frog is was completely a coincidence. Um, Jim Henson had built his frog puppet out of his mother's coat. It was it didn't wasn't a frog in the beginning. It was just Kermit the something. But you know, decades before he actually met Kermit Love, I guess. Way back then, it was a more common name. <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered that. That I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you answered that. Hey, I want to interrupt for just a second and give a shout out to our sponsor, Creative Audio Lab. CreativeAudioLab.com. These guys make our podcast sound 
amazing. If you're doing any sort of video or audio work, they're the guys for you. They specifically specialize in original music compositions. If you need music for your work, they're the guys to call. If you need that extra special polish on your audio, check them out. CreativeAudioLab.com. John and his team can help you out. All right, let's get back to the show. What's kind of a, I mean, you work, you work in New York, but Sesame Street, it's Hollywood, it's entertainment. It's, uh, what's the common misconception that people would have about your job? Like, I just have a feeling people would say, well, it's glamorous or it's the ultimate job. Is that true? How, I mean, what's the, what's the thing people get wrong about this kind of work? Um, well, we shoot in Astoria in Queens at Kaufman Astoria Studios, so, so we're not in Hollywood. Mm. I think they, they, they fly out there to shoot some of the celebrity insert songs and things mm. that they do. Um, they do a, like a block of those every season. They go out there for, you know, stars that are located out there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's... It is fun, and I sort of miss. See, now I'm working in licensing at Sesame Workshop on, I art direct the licensed toys and live shows and themed entertainment, theme parks, and a lot of sculptural things, sort of building off my sort of sculptural background with puppets. And so I'm less involved with the actual show now or with building the puppets, but I still sometimes miss that being on the set and being there when mm -hmm. something is, you know, it's really happening and the characters are coming to life. And lately our department has actually been pulled in to help do conceptualize and design new characters for the show. Mm. So I'm sort of, it's nice that I'm sort of being able to go back to that again. So I, I helped design the um, cookie characters for the smart cookies mm. segment that's on the show right now. They're like crime-fighting cookies that bring in Cookie Monster as their new rookie assistant. And it's a fun thing. It was, that was a lot of fun to work on. And there's a new character coming up in the next season who's um, Abby Cadabby's new stepbrother. And... I helped with designs on that, and then the Henson Workshop, the talented people there, you know, build them and they come to life. So it's great to be involved in that again a little bit. What's that process like? You're, you're, how are you creating the character? Is there a writer who's de, who's maybe coming up with a description or giving you an idea? Are you square one? How's that working? Yeah, the writers and production and the education and research people and they all sort of work together on what the curriculum is for the new season and then the writers figure out what's needed and if a new segment needs new characters and then they sort of come to our creative services department and usually a bunch of us um, submit ideas it, it's fun to sort mm. of all work together on that and then they sort of look at them all and choose what they like and the you know the executive producer and everybody sort of weighs in on which you know which designs will work for the character so it's it's collaborative yeah 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 let's talk about puppetry there are we we kind of talked about it at the workshop a little bit last night but there are a lot of people who think it's just dead it's just like a dead art 
and um, specifically with the you know over over the course of the century with animation and computer animation taking such a big role in entertainment what's your view on it what do you what do you say it's always, I mean, it'll always be around mm -hmm. and things come back. And just like even with toys that for a few years there, it was like kids only want to play on an iPad and physical toy, the physical toy market is dead. And it's like, no, I think the year they were saying all that, um, what was it called? Wonderloom mm. or whatever that, that sort of craft toy where you made bracelets out of um, rubber bands. What was it called? Anyway. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But that one toy of the year that year mm. in the midst of all this digital stuff. And it's like, no, people want something real. And sort of what makes Sesame Street connect with kids is that it is different. They are real and they're not animated. Mm -hmm. And no matter how real animation can get, there's something sort of nice about that very tactile, real thing and how they, you know, work with real people mm -hmm. and in a real set. Is that the secret to Sesame Street? What are 46, 47 seasons? How many seasons? Um, I think 47 is just starting. So is that the secret, like what you're talking about right there? I think that it's unique and that they... You know, the, the company keeps working on keeping it relevant and retooling it to work for ki the kids now and the things that affect them and that they need to learn. You know, there's a lot of people who get into puppetry or, or are interested in puppetry and, and think it's easy. I'll put a puppet on, I'll do it, and they don't get the response that they want. So they just assume that, you know, like we had said before, like puppets are kind of a lost art, that sort of thing. My argument is, well, it's a, it's a craft, just like acting or anything like that. Do you encounter any of that or have any thoughts about that? You know, if you, you know, if you have the talent, you can bring the puppet to life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I puppeteered a little in the beginning of my, you know, puppet career and eventually decided I was a puppet builder mm -hmm. <laughs> or a designer or mm -hmm. whatever I am. And... But other people, you know, who have more of an acting and more th their, their talents are in that direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have a great story to tell and you have in your you have that talent as a performer, you can really bring them to life. And it works. Talk to me about what you're doing now. You kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, I work on all of our Sesame Street licensed toys and I work with our research department and product development and also with the production to try to bring the sort of education and the sort of soul of the characters into everything we work on. Mm -hmm. And my a lot of what I do is making sure that their pupils are in the right place on their eyeballs and mm -hmm. they're the right color fur and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, details like that. Um, and I also, besides toys, I also worked on, th on themed entertainment. So I work on our theme parks and our live shows, our costume characters, wherever they're, they are. Um, and it's bringing that same sort of sculptural background to all of that. How difficult is it to be working with people 
uh, that are located in other places, like uh, like merchandisers and things like that, to to keep the quality of your character alive. I mean, it sounded like last night you were saying this is a big part of it. Yeah, it's tough because you're working with, you know, we did a a dark ride for um, Universal Studios Singapore, and there were so many animatronic characters in that ride that Universal hired five different sculpting animatronic companies in different parts of the world, like one in Nashville, one in Ohio, one in China, one in, you know, wow. and they trying to coordinate the, even just the texture of the fur across all of those and the character scale of all of those. Mm. So they would all be then put in the same scene and would all work together was, and doing it all via email. Oh, wow. <laughs> was really tough. And it almost all works, or at least, hopefully, I don't think anybody but me sees that mm. Rosita is too short. But, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's tough. Well, if you go back to, if you were to talk to yourself when you were younger, what, what would you, um, I guess, what's the thing that you really did right in this whole journey as far as, as far as um, you leading you to this? Yeah, even though I sort of transitioned from like puppets to sculpting to toys to theme parks, you know, and then still getting to design a puppet now and again. Mm -hmm. um, I sort of just stuck to that, my first obsession with sort of seeing those puppets on Sesame Street and seeing that place I wanted to move to. Mm -hmm. And I think just being obsessed can be a good thing and it can be your mm -hmm. inspiration. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been awesome. And it's awesome that you were um, officially the first puppet guy to be on the P and Penelope podcast. And so just want to say thanks for taking some time. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the final episode of the Pete and Penelope podcast. We'll go ahead and leave all of these episodes up and soon we'll transition over to the Pete and Penelope podcast being specifically for kids. And don't forget to check out our new podcast, the Kid Men podcast brought to you by The Ambush Group. As always, you can follow Pete and Penelope on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, by visiting PeteandPenelope.tv. We'll see you soon.